Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Creative Control with Joe Fee. This is episode 30, and my guest today is none other than the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for doing it. Uh, you know, usually on the uh, the show here, we try to talk about, uh, you know, the creative side of wrestling, and, and the reason I thought to try to reach out uh, to you as a guest is, you know, because you have your own creative ventures outside of wrestling, which which I want to get to with, with the comics and stuff, but... Uh, if we could look back and go through uh, some of the different points in your career a little bit, is that all right to start out that way? Sure. sure. Um, okay. Well, the first question I would have then is um, when uh, you showed up in WCW back in the early 2000s, uh, you, your name was already you know pretty well known and, as well as a Fallen Angel character. And uh, it, there was rumors at the time that you were going to come in and kind of be associated with Vampiro and uh, – and the Deadpool and, and the things like that because of the similarities, you know, the dark nature of the characters. Were those rumors accurate? Yeah, the originally, um, when I first went to WCW, right after I got hired, uh, the person that hired me got fired. That was Kevin Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And um, the people that were in control of creative after that were Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff. And they didn't know me very well. Like, neither one of them knew who I was. And uh, a lot of the people that they were dealing with were the ones that were um, coming out of the power plant, like Elix Skipper and uh, Mike Sanders and, 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 like, the Natural Born Thrillers and stuff. So when I finally met with uh, Vince for the first time, uh, I told him about the Fallen Angel character and stuff. And um, I, I don't know if it was him or if it was someone else, but someone came up with the idea of sort of making me the emperor to Vampiro's Darth Vader. And so that was sort of the plan at the very beginning. And we filmed one vignette uh, that had me all cloaked up and and covered up in a hood and, um, you know, sort of spouting off some, some stuff. And that was the one time that they did it and I think they didn't like it or it didn't come off the way they wanted. And so they sort of abandoned it. So, um, so yeah, that was the plan though. Originally it was going to be, we thought, I thought was I thought that was kind of uh, it was going to be very tough just because Vampiro at that point was an established WCW character and I felt like me coming in as a guy who had no name beyond the independence uh, and for them to put me in a position which you could sort of interpret as a position of power over Vampiro like I was his boss I thought it was going to be a hard sell anyway and so it, it sort of it sort of fell apart before it even materialized, but I, it would have been a difficult, it would have been pretty tough to sort of come in and be uh, sort of a mentor to Vampiro when Vampiro was much more established than I was. Hmm. That, that makes sense. I, yeah, I was going to ask you uh, when you said that, uh, if, if Vampiro was kind of cool with the idea because you get 
uh, you know, rumors and things like that. And there's some, some stories in Chris Jericho's books about how Vampire could be a little difficult at times. So was that, was that an idea that he was, uh, uh, alongside with you, uh, or was he kind of like, eh, standoffish? Um, he wasn't one way or the other, honestly. I, I, I talked to him about it after the fact, but like during the time, I don't know if he was in for it or, or not. I, I think he would have gone along with it. Um, you know, just because, well, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I you know, I, I've since met Vampiro and, and chatted with him and worked with him. And, um, you know, I thought we had a really good uh, rapport when we did work. So, I think it would have – I think it, we could have done it. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think – it wasn't, like, something where I think he sabotaged it or he turned it down or anything like that. I don't think it was anything like that. I think uh, that that sounds really interesting, especially if, if Sullivan – had stayed booking with his, uh, you know, his past uh, and the way he he uh, had his own like dark devilish sort of character with him behind you guys. I think that would have been really interesting. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, yeah. You know, shortly after that, uh, in in 2001, unfortunately, WWE closed. You had some matches on Nitro uh, prior to that, and then there was kind of like a weird time period in wrestling where, you know, what was going to happen next, who was going to kind of come up to the plate and, and try to uh, at least make a run against the other year, at least try to be uh, somewhat competitive. And the companies that came up uh, were, of course, Ring of Honor and, and NWA TNA, which you were both, you know, you're a major part of both in the beginning. Um, you were the first ever Ring of Honor main event on the first card. Um, how did you feel about the uh, Ring of Honor concept at that time? Did you think it was going to be something that would stick? I honestly didn't know. I mean, at that point, when you uh, are working a show, the first show for a company, like we had no idea what Ring of Honor was going to turn into. Um, I knew that Gabe had plans, and I knew that there was a market, especially in the Philadelphia area at that point, for, you know, because at the same, at that point, ECW had been gone for a bit. Mm -hmm. So there was a strong, I I felt like there was a strong, uh, hardcore fan base that that Ring of Honor could uh, appeal to. So, but I mean, at that point, like, you you know, one show, two show, three shows in, you had no idea what, what Ring of Honor was going to be. It wasn't until after the fact that you look back and you sort of see what Gabe's plans were uh, and sort of see them, you know, the seeds and the ideas come to fruition after like a year, year and a half. That was when we started to realize that this was something that, uh, or at least for me, that was when I started to realize that this was something that, uh, you know, could, could last and something that was really going to catch on. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I, I spoke with uh, Rob Feinstein on the show a few episodes ago, and I, just, I remember thinking it was a really unique idea, especially to to uh, kind of give it its, its birth in Philadelphia where, you know, you would imagine the fans are more into the hardcore and extreme stuff, and then you kind of give them, a, you know, a 180 with the Ring of Honor style at first, which was, you know, not much uh, – Hardcore is going on the handshakes and all that, but you know, it, of course, it, it might not be successful. Um, down the line, well, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think that uh, I think when I when I say hardcore, I don't mean hardcore in the sense of like uh, you know that style of match. I'm talking about the fans, the fans who would go out and seek the product, guys that were right. casual fans, guys that followed, guys that that um, you know that that's what I mean by hardcore. So I mean. When you talk about Philadelphia and you say, you know, they're they're used to a hardcore, you know, that ECW thing, you have to remember, too, that ECW was also, uh, you know, a lot of people's first taste of guys like Jericho and Milenko and Eddie Guerrero and, and Rey Mysterio. So, I mean, I think that was the type of fan base that Ring of Honor was going towards. The, the I guess that hybrid title of Japanese, uh, Japanese wrestling and Lucha and a lot of, guys that you would consider cruiserweights or, or light heavyweights, just because mm-hmm. that was the type of guy that was uh, prevalent on the independent scene at that point. Right. Um, that make, makes me think, what was the first time you ever worked at ECW Arena? Um, I actually uh, I actually worked uh, for ECW for a short period of time, and the first time I wrestled in the ECW Arena was against Rhino. Oh, okay. Um, this is the period of time when Steve Carino... Uh, and Jack Victory were uh, an act together, and they were mm-hmm. with Rhino. And, um, yeah, it was sort of a tryout. Like, I had a, that short period of time when I was with ECW. But, um, you know, I think I think living on the West Coast, 
and the costs involved with seeing me back and forth sort of prohibited me having a longer stay. Huh. Yeah, I was I was thinking, um, you know, I knew uh, MLW had been in there and 3PLV and stuff. I wasn't sure if those if those were your first experiences at the arena. I, I didn't realize you actually worked for ECW at the building. Huh. Yeah, That's yeah, cool. I, I had a couple. I literally had like three weekends worth of work with ECW, so. And how are the how short, those experiences? Short chapter. <laughs> good. Was, I, I had a good time, man. It was, um, you know, uh, the first time I worked for them, uh, we were in Chicago at the Odium, and I had a, a match with Super Crazy that I thought went really well. Um, but, you know, plans changed, and, and things went the way they did. So, uh, you know, I, I met some good people there, and, and still to this day, uh, you know, because of the, the, the people that I met there, I still get a chance to chat with them and, and keep in touch with them. Yeah, and I I feel uh, as as someone that's that's local to the Philadelphia area and has been you know to the arena multiple times for different promotions that you know you feel like one of those Philadelphia hometown guys of course because of being the first Ring of Honor main event and, and you being uh, working at the building with various promotions and of course actually you'll be back this week right right yeah yeah and uh, uh, it's funny how how that particular building uh, has gone through so many changes but still yeah. is sort of a home for pro wrestling. Have you seen it since uh, all the remodeling? Uh, yeah, I, I we were there. Um, like Ring of Honor was taping there even in the HD Net days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there since it's been cleaned up. But I mean, when when you see it this weekend, it's even further like different from from back in the day. It's, it really is. Um, yeah, I haven't been there for a couple of years. I, I think it's since 2011 was the last time I might have been there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be a good yes. a good show, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, you'll see though. It's it's almost like a totally different building. But um, so you know, towards the end of that first uh, Ring of Honor run, uh, you wound up in a rivalry with uh, CM Punk and and his group, and uh, you know, the matches and and promos and things were definitely highly regarded. Um, Jordan, is from your experience working with Punk, did you think he was gonna wind up uh? becoming a star to the extent that he did as far as, you know, being, you know, the, the WWE champion for that length of time. Did, did you see that uh, in the future? Do you think WWE would actually take a chance on I thought that there was certainly potential for that. I mean, you never can tell how far uh, someone can go as far as, like, being a success because so much of it is objective. It has, you know, nothing to do with talent. I knew the drive was there, um, you know, but, I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff happened – you know, the breaks that went his way went his way, and the opportunities that he got, he certainly uh, made the most of each one that he was given. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew that he had the drive for it, and, I mean, working with him was, in Ring of Honor was was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I knew, I knew that he, you know, you could tell that, you know, in, the, in every fiber of his being was pro wrestling. And so, I mean, um, you know, it's it's one of those feel-good stories where you know that somebody that worked as hard as he did got as far as he did, uh, and now he's, you know, enjoying the success of those labors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Russo and Bischoff earlier as far as WCW. Um, you know, there had been some shoots that came out with Russo after he left TNA the most recent time where um, it seemed like he had something of an issue uh with working with you, I don't know he, he name dropped you a few times. If he was complaining about uh, talents not listening to his ideas or something along those lines, um, did you did you have issues working with with Vince as far as TNA? That, or, or did you expect to hear that kind of thing from him? Um, yeah, I sort of did. I, I uh, my experience with Vince was that he was always uh, quick to push blame to other folks. Mm-hmm. In my experience. And, um, like, my my understanding of his comment was that, like, all I cared about was wrestling a match and not worrying about a character, when the truth of the matter was I came to him on more than one occasion and asked him, uh, like, what he saw in me and what we could focus on so that we could, you know, build something. And, you know, I never got a very clear direction from him in, in those regards. Like, he always said things like, oh, your work is going to get you over. Uh, and then, you know, he put me in a position where, uh, like, he said, my, like, my work was going to get me over. And then he had me go out there and wrestle, and and then I would go out and lose. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, 
how is how is if this is the thing that makes me special, I can't be mediocre at it. Like I can't go out there and say I'm this great wrestler if I'm going out and, and losing all the time. And I mean, it just same. It seemed like there wasn't like a, an end game in that respect. It, it didn't seem like oh, we're going to have you lose this often until this moment, and that's what's going to be the turning point. It just felt like oh well, we have Chris Daniels and and he can wrestle, so let's use him to build other folks and then um so so yeah i i i I don't it's not that i expect him to to come out and say oh i didn't like working with him or i i had problems working with him but i mean i'm not surprised uh i was i was surprised i mean just because from the way he made those comments at the time uh you were doing some of the most entertaining stuff on on tna television with with kazarian as as a bad influence i mean i always thought that was the thing too. Like, that was a lot of stuff that that Frankie and I sort of came up with, and Eric sure. Bischoff and the creative teams at that time when we were doing it, they let us sort of go. They let us go do our stuff. And so, I mean, uh, you know, my my thought process is like, if if you let me go do what I know I can do, like I can produce. But if you write me in a situation where I'm supposed to be something, and then you sort of cut the legs out from under me, well, of course it's not going to work. Sure. You know, like, there were times when he wanted me to be, uh, you know, this baby face, but then, like, he was making me look like an idiot. And I was like, well, no no fans are going to get behind a baby face that looks like an idiot. <laughs> no. <You know? laughs> I mean, if I was a heel, if I was a heel and I was meant to go out there and... and Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Be the butt of the joke. That would have been one thing. But, like, there were so many times where I would go out as a baby face and, and just look like a complete idiot. And I thought to myself, well, no, of course I'm not getting over. Like, there was the, the first, um, the first uh, day that Hogan, that Hulk came in that Monday night, they had mm-hmm. me scheduled for an interview with Jeremy or with uh, they had me scheduled for an interview backstage where Jeremy Barash would interrupt me and ask where Mick Foley was, like talk about Mick Foley coming into the building. And I thought to myself, like, oh, if this was a real thing, like I, I would like, you know, beat Jeremy Barash up. Like you don't right. interrupt the wrestler. But I mean, I literally just, he basically just completely castrated me. And and then came to me and said, "Well, you're not getting over." You know, my response was always, "When did you, when did you try to get me over?" And I didn't get over because I failed. Do you think? Uh, I mean, today there's, uh, it, you know, his name is so almost mud to the point where even having his name associated with TNA, uh, you know, it was rumored that it cost them some some stroke in negotiations just being associated with with, with Russo. Do you think uh, that's you know, a little far. Do you think he he's properly viewed today? Where it seems like his, his name is almost poison when it comes to uh, to TNA trying to get trying to get back on TV at that time. Well, I I don't know the I don't know the you know everybody has read the the proposed timeline of like him working behind the scenes. I I can't tell you for sure, but I mean it certainly did seem like a black eye for TNA. Mm-hmm to find out that, uh, you know, he's looking behind the scenes and, and, you know, they were, they were so worried about word getting out that they kept it a secret. Like, you know, if it wasn't an issue, why keep it a secret? Right. I mean, that to me says something. So, you know, and I I don't think Vince's phone is, is ringing off the hook for, for uh, him to uh, come back to writing wrestling. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem that way. Uh, that that kind of makes me think of um, what you're mentioning when when Hogan and Bischoff came in. It, it was odd because 2009 was such a great year for you uh, in many ways at TNA. Especially as the year closed, you had a great uh, championship match with AJ at, at Final Resolution, and then the following month 
on pay-per-view they had you losing to Val Venus, uh, Sean Morley, uh, which, I mean, you could see that even the TNA fan base was totally against it, kind of uh, looking at it like this is, we see what's going on here. You're coming in, you're, you're bringing your guys in, and you're pushing our guys out. Um, what did you think about that, that time period? Uh, you know, I mean, it seemed like they didn't have a direction for you, and then that, that loss to, to Morley, of course, must have been uh, demoralizing. Well, I mean, I I understood that they were going to be introducing new guys. Um, I, I think that that was like the most radical uh, example of, um, you know, beating TNA homegrown guys to uh, feature guys that were coming in, at least to the fans. I mean, like you said, like the month before I was wrestling in the main event for the heavyweight title. And uh, the next month, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing in the second match. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, that I that period of time, that November and December period, like between Bound for Glory and those those two main events, um, like I, 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 always, I felt like that was almost like lame duck booking because they knew that things were going to change. So they were like, well, let's not worry about anything. Let's just put out some great wrestling and see what happens. And that ends mm-hmm. up being like the stuff that people remember the most. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and um, you know, it's just it's just part for the course. Like every any time that there was a, a a proposed change in the regime, there was a period of time where they just said, "Well, nothing we do matters uh, in to this end date, whenever the new regime actually gets into place." So let's just go out there and and get people talking about the wrestling, and and that's what the people remember most. Most of the time, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, definitely. People look back at that late 2009, and it's, it's some of their favorite TNA stuff. Well, they knew, hopeful? they knew, they knew before Bound for Glory that Hulk Hogan was coming in. So that yeah. whole mindset was like, oh well, everything we build now is going to change in January when Hulk gets here. So let's just, you know, what what can we do that's going to get people interested? Oh well, let's throw Chris Daniels and AJ Styles and Joe in the ring. Okay. And of course that, that always that always winds up being everybody's favorite uh favorite stuff, especially involved in the three of you. I think uh even today, uh, you know, teenage switch networks and they're trying to get some momentum. But I think when people look back at teenage history, the, the the guys that have been constants like like yourself and AJ, you know, and you're neither one of you are there now, it, it makes it difficult for the TNA fan base to stick behind it when some of the guys that were most loyal to the company and the fans were most loyal to are no longer there. Well, I think that TNA is is in a position now where they're trying to build, uh, you know, the guys that they know are going to be around, guys like Eric Young and, and Bobby Roode and Austin Aries and Joe. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you know, rosters come and go. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of, like, you know, now's their opportunity to rebuild uh, their core guys. And, you know, uh, I'm not a core guy for them anymore. That's fine. I mean, that's that's their decision to do that as such. So, I mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I, I don't look at, I don't look at it as like the core guys of TNA being gone. I just feel like, you know, uh, things change, uh, you know, in the rest of the business. And, and I, I wore out my welcome, obviously with, with TNA <laughs> and, um, you know, there it is. I mean, I, certainly not with the fans. I mean, you know, and I, I think you've proven that with, uh, you know, the Ring of Honor stuff, especially, uh, I just want to say I was there last summer with, uh, you know, you and Kaz versus the Young Bucks, and that, that main event tag match was probably one of the best matches I've ever seen live. That's great. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you. Well, uh, I think that, you know, the one of the challenges that we had going into Ring of Honor was knowing that, you know, the, the one thing, not the one thing, but I think one of the major things that got us, uh, Frankie and myself, uh, over in when we were doing that influence was the ability to you know that we did outside of the ring all the character stuff all the promos all the backstage stuff that we did that was a, a big facet of the bad influence act and so now we you know going into ring of honor knowing that there's a lot less backstage stuff there's a lot less in-ring promo stuff and that the main focus of the the product is the bell to bell action, and not that we couldn't hang because obviously we are, but I mean that that you know that's been a challenge for us 
you know, taking the act of bad influence and turning it into the addiction and bringing it to ring of honor and still trying to be uh, the thing that got us over in the first place. So, I mean, it's still sort of a work in progress for us. We're still, you know, experimenting with ways to be those guys that everybody saw on Impact Wrestling for two years and what became like, you know, one of the most entertaining acts that they had and, and bringing it to the Ring of Honor ring and the Ring of Honor product. I always thought it was brilliant uh, that you would come out with an apple teeny as opposed to a guy who comes out with a beer or, a, you know, a stogie or whatever to try to be badass. You would come out with the absolute opposite and come out with an apple teeny. I thought that was great. Was that your idea? Yeah. Yeah. We, we had that, um, uh, the year that we did uh, Slammiversary in uh, Arlington, um, 2012, when we had the, the belt, I had an idea mm-hmm. to, you know, propose it so to Frankie and myself. You know, and I and I thought, you know, what what drink would be most recognizable just looking at it? Like I could have <laughs> had a, a beer, I could have had a bottle of, uh, you know, a bottle of Jack. But I, I thought, you know, if I'm playing this you know, pretentious, egotistical guy, like, why not have something that is just ridiculous? And so I, I came up with the Eiffeltini. And I never really meant for that to become part of the, the act. But then it just so happened, like, the next couple of weeks, I had the opportunity to have one in my hand again. And I thought, why not? Let's see how it goes. Let's see where this goes. And it's to the point now where, you know, the darn drink is getting chance. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, at shows that I go to. So, you know, who knew, man? You never know what's going to catch on and what's going to, you know, stick in the people's minds. Yeah. And uh, that was something that I, I didn't I, – I knew I could, but, I mean, I didn't think it would. You know, I figured, oh, well, maybe. And, and lo and behold, here it is. It's still you – know, I, I haven't even really had an opportunity to have it in Ring of Honor yet, and it's still something that people talk about. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that stuck out because, you know, like you said, uh, it, it fit like a pretentious kind of character perfectly, I thought. Um, and, you know, I've, I've said before that I really enjoyed the stuff that you guys did. Over. I thought you were the most entertaining part of the television a lot of the time. But that alliance kind of started with uh, the Claire Lynch and AJ angle. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to be – I don't want to talk, you know, the whole time about, you know, negative and – be a bummer about TNA and stuff, but I really had to ask your opinion uh, about that as it was going on. And, and, and did you guys internally kind of say, well, this this isn't going to work. This girl's not, you know, she's not the greatest actress in the world and the crowd's not going to buy that kind of thing. Or did you kind of just go out there with the attitude like, all right, let's just, let's just see what we can do with it. Um, yeah, pretty much. Like we, after her first couple of, of appearances, we knew that she wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't catching on. And, you know, and to her credit, I mean, you know, not her fault. She didn't know what she was sort of getting into. She got she got cast and then sort of told after the fact that this is what was going to happen. And it certainly, you know, you introduce a non-wrestling character, like, out of the blue like that to a wrestling fan base. Um, you know, it's an uphill battle. And so, you know, she, she tried for a little bit to do that stuff. And, and when we saw what the reaction was, we tried uh, – uh, Frankie and myself and AJ, we, we tried to, you know, brainstorm a way to minimize her uh, part in the play, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of our ideas were used and some weren't, and, and it ended up being what it was. Uh, you've taken some acting classes yourself, right? Didn't, you've taken classes and kind of, uh, you know, use that in, in your own? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's been so long that it's, it's hard to say. Like, I... I haven't done any acting, acting for many, many years, like other than mm-hmm. pro wrestling, which is, a, you know, a completely different form of that theater. Um, you know, so I, I don't, I don't profess to be a great actor by any stretch. I've got experience being an actor, uh, doing plays and, 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 and filming things. But I mean, I'm certainly, I certainly don't feel like I'm a better actor than, you know, a lot of the guys that are in the locker room. Um, you, you understand that that pro wrestling, as as theater and as a, a performing art, um, you know it, it's very it's very broad, it's very big, and and uh, you know subtleties and nuance sometimes are very difficult to portray uh, in in wrestling as a whole. 
Is that something that um, you see yourself, like, I guess you don't have the itch to go back and do any uh, plays or theater or anything like that? Um, I do sometimes, but, yeah. you know, I, I know that my, I, you know, my bread and butter right now and my, my livelihood is based on pro wrestling. And it's hard to put, it's hard to succeed in any sort of acting uh, if you're not, you know, putting 100% of your time and your effort into it. So I'm honest with myself. You know, if, if opportunities come along, I'm certainly open to that. Um, and, you know, I'd like to do more as, you know, I get older and I do, you know, as I know that my wrestling, the in-ring part of it is, is winding down, I'd like to transition into doing so. But, you know, I, I know that I'm only going to get as much as I put into it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm not really able yet to put 100% into that. Uh, well, we talked about uh, Vince Russo a little bit, and, and during your tenure there, there was, you know, various, uh, I, would, I wouldn't say guys in charge, but guys who came in and out, like a Bruce Pritchard, uh, you know, of course, in the beginning, uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jeff were more, more so in charge, uh, Bischoff. So during your time at TNA, uh, you know, in and out from the beginning up until last year, uh, who was your favorite, uh, you know, say, booker or creative writer to, to, work, to work with, work for? I honestly, I honestly enjoyed working with a lot of them. Even, even the time that I had with Vince, like, you know, not all of it was negative. I certainly, that, that period of time where Vince was, uh, you know, grooming me to work the angle with Sting, that was a good period of time for me. Um, Dusty Rhodes, uh, when Dusty Rhodes was in charge, he was the one that um, had the idea to, uh, you know, put me and AJ together as a singles match. And so, I mean, if that hadn't happened, it, it might have been a completely different story uh, as far as, like, what I did in TNA. So I, I really had a lot – I had a lot of, uh, you know, good memories of, of the stuff that I did with Dusty with there. And um, But, I mean, I, I feel like the most uh, success that I had would have been when Eric was there, when, when Eric Bischoff and, and um, Jason Hervey and, and – Dave Lagana and Matt Conway were sort of doing that stuff. That period of time, as as much negative as given to uh, the Claire to Claire Lynch as as a character and that whole angle. The truth of the matter is, like at the end of it, that really set that really put Frankie and I on the map as the team. And Absolutely. Like that ongoing feud between the two of us and AJ. Like so, there there was some really great television, some really great matches, and some really great promos. I thought. So, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm thrilled that we got that opportunity and yeah, I wish that, you know, certain things were different, but at the same time you never know how this thing's gonna go until it's, you know, in front of the people and going. And right. you know, you hope that everything's gonna be a home run, but sometimes it's not and you know, you just try to work with it and, and uh you know, you recover from the things that are perceived as with the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio as negative and just keep moving forward. That's part of the the challenge of doing that weekly show like we were doing is just trying to keep moving and tra- stay ahead of the of the of the crowd's uh, expectations and try to do something different and new and 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 keep it interesting, man. It's it's tough. It did um I I think that storyline had had its uh, intended effect where you know, it did have people tune in back in week to week, like, oh, they're going to reveal this picture, they're going to reveal this phone call, and I mean, that's that's the idea, like you just said, when you're doing weekly television, to get people to, to get that cliffhanger kind of feeling, and, and as you said, it, it did, despite, you know, some criticism, that angle, it did 
you know, give birth for, you know, for lack of a better term to, to the team of, uh, you and Kazarian getting some chances to, you know, show personality and stuff like, like we talked about earlier. Um, you mentioned staying, of course, uh, how was, uh, you know, obviously that's, that's a big moment for you, as you said, how was it working with the singer and, uh, you know, in ring and out? Uh, I had a great time, man. Um, he was really cool to work with. He was very open to all the ideas that I ever, that I came to, you know, the table with. And, um, you know, I was just real happy to get the opportunity, especially growing up watching him. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in North Carolina, and I watched, uh, you know, the Mid-Atlantic Territory and, and mm-hmm. the NWA. And so when UWF and, and Crockett Promotions sort of merged, um, I got to see him, like, when he came into the territory and do his whole his whole uh, angles with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen and such. And so getting the chance to, to work with him after all that, it, you know, it, it meant a lot to me. And, um, you know, he, he treated me with nothing but respect. And, um, you know, even to, towards the end before he left TNA, like, he would always say that he loved working with Frankie. And just because we were easy to work with and, and you know, always were very uh, collaborative when, we were, when it came to putting the match together. And so, um, you know, I thought that a really good rapport, really good chemistry, uh, Frankie and myself, with the game. Mm-hmm. As as someone who's who's been a fan of him and, and you know a coworker also, um, were you happy to see him come uh, to WWE? Do you think it's I mean, do you think it's too late, or do you think that no matter what, uh, having his name, his presence there, beneficial to both sides? Um, no, I don't think it's too late at all. I still think there's you know there's a possibility for him to wrestle, and I think that there's you know I'm sure that he's got some good matches left in him. It's just up to him, you know. Um, you know, you hope that. They give him something that motivates him and, um, you know, sort of likes that creative fire underneath him. Um, you know, and that's still sort of up in the air. We don't know. He's He's been very, you know, he's made very few appearances so far. And, and that's good. You know, it's a surprise every time that he's appeared. Um, it's sort of done, you know, good. Uh, it, it's been a great, um, you know, tool for the storytelling to have him in that in that position. And so it's very interesting to see what happens with him at the Royal Bowl and in the months going towards WrestleMania and what his involvement with WrestleMania is even going to be. But I definitely think that there's the, – I, people are talking about one last match. I think there's a, there's a possibility a few good matches out of with Sting. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that he either has never worked or hasn't worked for many, many, many years. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's – uh, there's many possibilities that I think would be very cool to see Sting in the ring with uh, – in a WWE. Right, yeah. I mean there's that that match with Undertaker's been speculated about forever or you know, put him in there with Hunter. I mean there is it is a great catalyst for, for storylines like I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um you know, we, we mentioned uh, of course the early days of TNA earlier and, and working with Jeff, uh Jared, you know, you've worked with him in ring and, and out of the ring for a long time of course. Um what are your feelings on the Global Force Wrestling uh promotion? Uh I mean, they had their uh, the New Japan Wrestle Kingdom on paper a few weeks ago that they helped promote. Uh, what do you see in the future for for uh, Global, and and would you see yourself and, and possibly Kazarian as being a part of it? Um. Well, first of all, uh, Frankie and I would definitely be open to working with with them if they were interested in using us. Um, you know, I feel like we had nothing but good uh, a good rapport with Jeff. Um. And then, uh, as far as, I'm not sure what the, what the future is going to hold for them. I, I mean, I know they're going to be doing more cross promoting with like New Japan. I know AAA is, is an avenue that they've, uh, you know, explored. Um, I'm just anxious to see what they do in the States in terms of their own original product. Right. Uh, I'm looking forward to see who they decide, uh, to, you know, build their company with. Um, you know, what venue, what avenues they're going to travel in terms of, um, you know, a television channel or, uh, you know, getting their product out there. I'm very interested to see what they do. Uh, that doesn't involve, you know, promoting uh, established companies like New Japan or AAA. I, I'm interested to see where they go with their own original programming. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's probably the viewpoint of a lot of people. I mean, it's it's great to, to get that New Japan product more exposure, but, you know, in the end, I guess we're all waiting to see what they do under their own umbrella. But uh, to, to kind of wrap up the, the TNA talk, uh, what would you say was your uh, favorite moments 
as a member of the Bad Influence tag team uh, in the last uh, in your last few years there, teaming up with Frankie, you know, favorite matches, favorite guys that you worked with, favorite, uh, you know, angles? Um, I, I feel, I, I definitely feel like working with AJ was always fun. Um, the that anniversary match with, with us versus Kurt and AJ in Texas um, was one of the better matches that, that TNA had all year, I think. And, um, you know, I, I felt like we really worked very well with Kurt and AJ. And there was a lot left on the table, I think, with that. We could have done a, a much longer program with those two guys if they had decided to keep them together. Um, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, we worked really well with Chavo Guerrero and Sean Hernandez as well. We had a very long uh, – uh, we did a lot of uh, work with them on the live events and a lot of stuff on television. And um, I felt like we had a really good chemistry with those guys as well. So, I mean, um, that last period, that last period, though, uh, working with those guys was a lot of fun and, and getting involved with guys like Gunner and James Storm and uh, Austin Aries and Bobby Roode. Like, um, you know, there was a lot of good tag matches that we had to the end up there. Absolutely. Uh, well, and then you guys, of course, um, you know, have moved on to Ring of Honor and have done some, some great stuff there. Uh, coming in to Ring of Honor, returning, of course, for yourself, um, was there anyone that stood out specifically that you're looking forward to working with? Um, well, you know, we knew the first night in that we were going to be working with Red Dragon. And, um, you know, when I was there in 2011, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole were both, uh, you know, they were they were both starting out as the team Future Shock. And, um, you know, there was a lot of buzz about them. But, you know, you come back three years later and, and Adam is the world champion and Kyle is one half of the tag champs. And um, it's just incredible how much they improved in that period of time. And um, so Frank and I were definitely looking forward to working with them. Um, you know, I, I had worked with the Briscoes a lot in, in the past, and I know specifically that was someone that Frankie was looking forward to work with, and we got a chance to work with them um, late last year. Uh, but, I mean, like the whole tag team scene in, in Ring of Honor, is it's incredible how many talented teams and how many talented uh, potential duos are there. I mean, they, they just recently had uh, Matt Seidel and ACH team for a series of things. And I think they're, you know, outstanding to work with as well. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the Young Bucks, uh, Red Dragon, you know, um, just a, it's just when you've got that much talent in the tag division, like any match that you come across is, is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really good. And so, like, that was sort of like the, the table that was set before us is knowing that there were all of these really uh, – these teams that were that were set up as teams that were mainly teams and uh, established as teams, and we were going in there and getting the opportunity to work with guys like Red Dragon and uh, the Decade and the Young Bucks, um, you know, and the Briscoes, all of these guys. So, I mean, it's been a lot of fun this 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 period of time uh, working with Ring of Honor and working in that in that locker room. Uh, about the Young Bucks, you know, when they uh, had a TNA stint a few years ago. And uh, up until now, you know, sometimes there's there's stories and rumors that get those guys uh, something of a, a bad reputation. Uh, do you think that was justified or was that some, you know, overblown, you know, internet kind of stories? Absolutely overblown, man. Like, yeah. um, we've had nothing but great experiences with, with the Young Bucks. And, um, you know, I, I felt like they were uh, underutilized when they were at TNA, which is one of the reasons that they left. And, um, you know, it was sort of ridiculous – to think that, you know, they they were vilified by certain people in TNA for wanting to leave TNA when TNA wasn't using them at, at that point. And so they went off to find, uh, you know, a better working environment at that point. And, and, and you know, and for a long time, it felt like some people at TNA were holding a grudge on that, which is ridiculous. And, I mean, now you look at how popular they are and how, uh, sought after they are as an act and um, you know it's just ridiculous to think that TNA had them and couldn't be bothered to use them enough to make them want to stick around no it was a big waste and a shame and I mean like you said of course look at look at how successful they've been without it seems to be uh, you know kind of a running uh, story with, with guys that, that leave TNA and either find more success or, or, or rejuvenate it I've always um you know, it's a speculative question, but let me let me see if what your views are on it. I, I always tend to ask uh, my guests why they think it is that 
uh, if TNA comes to a town and they have, you know, it, you know, guys like yourself and AJ on top, uh, the Young Bucks, uh, I mean, they weren't on top there, but on, on the card and stuff. And, you know, they couldn't sell more than a couple hundred tickets, but you put you guys on the card for Ring of Honor or uh, FW out of, out of New York, and they wind up selling out or selling a couple thousand tickets. What do you think it is about the TNA name that, that makes it so difficult to uh, to promote it successfully, whereas people will go see you guys work for somebody else, but if it's under the TNA umbrella, uh, there's just not that much interest, it seems. Does that make sense? It, it does, but I, I think that it's not that there was an interest. I think that there was a disconnect between the, the fan base and the promotions aspect of TNA. Um, mm-hmm. There were many there were many times we would be in live events in in a period or in an area, and we would run into people who recognized this and were surprised that we were in town because they hadn't heard that there was going to be a show. And so, right. you know, I, I felt like I, I, I and I can't point a finger at anybody to say you know this was the reason or that was the reason, but I know that there were plenty of reasons or plenty of times where you know we would have you know an underwhelming. Uh, turnout in an area that should have been much better for us. I mean, we never really figured that out. We never could put our finger on it. At least we, as the wrestlers, I mean, we had no idea why this was going that way. Uh, I'll ask you uh, just one more wrestling question, and then I'd like to move on to talk about uh, the comics, of course. Um, You worked for 3PW pretty regularly in the the Philly area back in the early part of the decade. Um, Do you have any favorite memories from those events? Um, I actually, uh, you know, I I really enjoyed working with those guys with Todd Gordon and the Blue Meanie and those, uh, you know, and Jasmine when they were there. Um, It's funny, I I had a match uh, scheduled to wrestle AJ Styles and – while I was in Japan the month before, I separated my shoulder. So mm. I had to uh, I had to cancel the match, but they still brought me in because my plane ticket was behind. So I cut a, a promo and um, had my arm in a sling. And I remember as I was cutting a promo, some some fan heckled me about my my uh, my injury being fake. And I, I remember responding to him and, and doing something. I don't know if I flipped him off or did something, but that was like I remember coming back and Todd Gordon. Like later on down the line, he said, "You know, I knew that was when I we were supposed we should put the heavyweight strap on you the minute you, uh, the minute you responded to that fan. That was when I knew we needed to stick with you and and <laughs> put some effort behind you. And so that was what led to me getting the the three PW title for that period of time <laughs> was cutting that promo with my arm in the sling. I, remember I, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but." Yeah, I, I I do remember that. Someone shouted something. I, I can't remember what your response was, but I do remember it was, it was funny <laughs> and quick, you know. So, so yeah, yeah, all, so that was, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, when those things come, you know, that's part of it too. Like, you you just got to be thinking on your feet and, and react rather than, uh, you know, have everything. In, like, I go into every match and every promo with a set idea of what I'd like to have happen. But at the same time, I feel like I'm flexible enough to – to sort of roll with it if, if things go a different direction or if, if, if something else that you don't foresee sort of comes up and comes out of nowhere, um, to roll with the punches and react re- realistically rather than stumble and fall and sort of be lost. Yeah, and it sounds like from what you mentioned before that uh, yourself and Kazarian were given some more leeway as bad influence. And, uh, you know, of course, that led to a lot of memorable moments and a very memorable run at that time. Uh, do you think that, in, say, in WWE situation where some guys are, are kind of tripping and falling on their face, can they be held responsible if it's they're reciting somebody else's lines and not giving any room to uh, to think on their feet, like you're saying? Um. Well, yeah, I, I feel that was something that I always felt sort of strong about in TNA, like um, especially like the time, not the arguments, but the, the problems that I had with Vince. Um, you know, like I, every time I came back through the curtain, uh, I always went to them. And the first thing I asked, it wasn't, was it good or, you know, or did you like it? It was, was that what you wanted? You know, so at least if I wasn't doing what they wanted me to do, I could figure that out and, and work accordingly. But my, my entire experience with Vince, uh, he never once said, oh, no, that wasn't what I wanted you to do. So basically, 
what was happening was Vince had an idea for me and I went out and did exactly what he wanted me to do and then it wasn't working. So then who do you blame? Right. Like, and, and my my frustration with Vince was always, I always felt like Vince was blaming me when he had the idea and he wrote the stuff and I was doing exactly it the way he wanted it to be done and it wasn't working. And so, like, that to me says, well, then, you know, then that's, you know, it's not my thing. I'm not going out there and changing what you want or changing the direction. The direction that you want isn't working. So, I mean, you can look at the stuff that's happening in WWE. Uh, it's hard to tell how much of that is the guy's writing and how much of that is the, the performer because we don't know what's written. Like you true. can't say, um, oh, he, he performed that promo exactly the way they wrote it or exactly the way they wanted it. And if it's his fault or it's the writer's fault, it's hard to tell, man. I mean, yeah. until, until you get them coming out and saying, well, I wanted to go like this, but it didn't go like this because of this, this, and this, you know, you never can tell. Sure. Uh, and the reason that, that I think of that and then bring it up sometimes is, uh, there, you know, the biggest example now is uh, Roman Reigns and his promos on television. A lot of people saying, well, <clears throat> this isn't working, and uh, this is the guy you want to push as your top guy. But, you know, his promo skills, you know, quote, are, aren't that great. But in the meantime, you know, it comes out, uh, whether it's true or not, that, that Vince is mostly the one scripting those promos. So, you know, who do you blame in that case? Is it Vince's promos is it, is it Roman's delivery is it a combination uh, that's you know that that's what kind of made me think of that um let's talk about uh all the atomics a little uh okay you know, about how that came about and uh, were you a big comic book fan you know are you a big comic book fan now and were you a big comic book fan throughout your life um both I'm still a comic book fan I've been a comic book fan since I I, I can't remember a time when I didn't have comic books in my life and so I'm 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 still to this day a huge comic Um The Oh Yeah Comics thing came about, uh, I was at the San Diego Comic-Con in 2011, mm-hmm. and I happened to run into Art Baltazar and Franco, the guys that are responsible for Tiny Titans from DC Comics and Superman Family Adventures and Itty Bitty, mm-hmm. uh, Itty Bitty Hellboy from Dark Horse. And mm-hmm. um, they were wrestling fans, and so uh, we struck up a conversation, we struck up a friendship, and um, it wasn't until... 2013 that they started their own self-publishing banner called Oh Yeah Comics. And so um, I, I can't remember exactly how the idea came to me, but, uh, you know, after I'd read a couple of issues of, of Oh Yeah Comics and, and got familiar with the characters of uh, Action Cat and Adventure Bug and, and Awesome Bear, um, I, I, I can't remember why I did it, but I just thought, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to write a, a comic book story about me and Frankie and Action Cat and Adventure Bug and Awesome Bear. And so, like, one day I completely just unsolicited sent them the script. And I was like, hey, would you guys want to do this? Would this be something that would interest you guys? And, um, you know, completely to my delight and surprise, they were 100% behind it. And it was uh, it was in a couple months later that the first, the, the comic book came out. Is uh I, I I'm on the site now, so I see that the the one issue uh, is for sale. It, is that going to be an ongoing series, or do you have any other ideas uh, coming up? Um, no, it was only meant to be a one shot, but mm-hmm. I have written the sequel, and I've talked to Art and Franco about um, you know, going forward on that, and I, I think we just started talking about like laying out some artwork for it. I wrote the script a couple months ago and sent it to him, but you know, I understand like Art and Franco are are super high in demand. Um, all the stuff that they do for DC and for Dark Horse and for their own, uh, for All Yeah Comics, um, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so uh, it's just been a matter for me being patient enough for them to be able to find the time <laughs> to, to uh, you know, to work on it themselves. And, and honestly, too, you know, the difference between me and, and doing, uh, you know, Itty Bitty Hellboy or Itty Bitty Math, um, you know, there's a big following for those characters. And, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who falls down for a living. So, I mean, I literally, I completely understand if I'm low on the priority scale for those guys. I'm just happy that they, you know, that they want to do it. Uh, I'm thrilled that they uh, enjoyed the first one and, and have enjoyed the script for this one that I sent to them. Um, you know, any any anything that I can get, I'm happy to have from those mm-hmm. guys. And so I'm looking forward to uh, 
you know, putting this this next one out and uh, and going from there. It's not. It wasn't. It was never meant to be an ongoing thing. Um, you know, I don't want to write stuff because I have to write it or because you know I've I've, uh, I've committed to a monthly schedule. Um, like the story that I wrote and this one that I just sent them. Like I I literally was just inspired to write it and I thought it came out really well. And I'll write whenever I'm inspired to do so. But it's like. I don't think like I, I I take my hat off to the guys that do it month in month out and do you know just doing one book and some of these guys are writing five or six books at a time. Yeah. Um, I it's incredible uh, their thought process and their creativity and I you know if I could ever get to level I'd be thrilled but I know I'm not so. As uh, uh you know writing when you're in do you do any other kind of writing other uh, than you know the the, the the script that you've written for the comic and the sequel. Have you ever done any uh, other kind of script writing, or have you considered writing uh, your own story of your career? Um, not really. Like my wife is always pushing for me to write uh, an autobiography, but honestly, I can't remember a lot of the stuff that I've already gone through. So, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how the heck that's going to work out. But um, you know, I, I do have ideas in my head, and I I, I have friends. Uh, that I've talked to about maybe collaborating on, on building on the ideas that I had. Um, so, I mean, it's just a matter now of, of like getting the right period of time, the right collaborator and, and putting that effort into building that, that idea out of the idea phase and into like a real story phase. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the, your interest in comics and uh, as we spoke about earlier, you know, you've taken some acting class and have done some things there. Uh, what do you think would be the ideal situation for you when it, when the time comes when uh, it's time for post-entering career? Are, are you going to continue uh, in wrestling, whether backstage, or, or would you like to pursue some other creative ventures? Um, I definitely think I'll probably stick around in wrestling. Um, I would love to be a commentator at some point. I feel like I have a lot to offer in that respect. Sure. Um, but even behind the scenes, I think that I could do, uh, you know, I've been offered the opportunity to work behind the scenes at Ring of Honor. And, um, and 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 the like. Uh, as far as like writing stuff or doing stuff, I, I would love to act. I'd love to uh, I'd love to you know be creative in terms of writing stories. If I can you know uh, consistently put out quality product, it would be awesome. Um, you know, but those those are all avenues that I'm looking that I'm looking to travel uh, in the near future. So uh, who knows. Uh, you are scheduled to appear Saturday night at the uh, 2300 Arena, the old ECW Arena, uh, for Ring of Honor. Uh, talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Do you have? Uh, can you uh, say who you guys are going to be wrestling, or is it is it a guaranteed wrestling appearance, or will you guys just maybe cutting a promo? No, I'm, oh, I'm sure we'll wrestle. Uh, I'm not sure who will wrestle yet. Um, I'll find out probably when I get there. Nothing's been advertised yet. There's been a few matches. Um, AJ Styles and the Young Bucks versus ACH, Matt Seidel, and Cedric Alexander, which is going to be uh, outstanding. Sure. Um, there's a You have to go to ROHWrestling.com to get, like, the full card that's already been announced. But there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, any, any Ring of Honor show, um, you know, top to bottom, they're the most passionate wrestling, uh, the most passionate wrestling locker room around. And, I mean, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's just a great place to work and a great place, a great group of guys to be involved with. And, um, you know, if you're looking for wrestling, that's you're, you're definitely going to get your money's worth uh, from that show. So it's definitely something that I recommend a wrestling fan go, go out of their way to go watch. Yeah, I think one of the best things uh, that happened to, say, uh, the wrestling fan in general, not only is, of course, you know, the network, but the WWE Network, that is. But, of course, it opened the doors for Ring of Honor to return to um, regularly scheduled Sunday night, you know, pay-per-views, which, despite uh, technological advancements and stuff, it still seems to be that's what fans are most comfortable with watching and ordering. Um, so, that being said, Ring of Honor, of course, uh, has returned to pay-per-view. There's another pay-per-view March 1st coming from Vegas, uh, the anniversary show. Uh, what else do you see for Ring of Honor uh, in the coming year and for yourself Kazarian as well? Um, just continued, just continued success, building up more for the pay-per-views, um, you know, building on the relationship with Sinclair Broadcasting and, uh, you know, hopefully more and more, uh, more and more channels throughout the United States. Um, 
one of my personal goals, hopefully, is for Sinclair to get an affiliate here on the West Coast so that uh, California can watch, you know, mm-hmm. all of California can watch Ring of Honor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just continued success and continue to sort of build up the schedule and get more and more people aware of the Ring of Honor product. Um, you guys have also wrestled uh, for House of Hardcore. Is there any um... – you see a return to working uh, there again? Absolutely. It's just a matter of scheduling. I, I feel like, uh, you know, Tommy Dreamer puts out a great product. And, uh, uh, you know, any time that we're a part of the House of Hardcore roster, we're, you know, we're thrilled. Um, you know, Tommy has a great eye for talent and a great eye for uh, putting matches together that people are, are wanting to see. And so, um, you know, every every experience that we've had with him so far has been outstanding and we look forward to doing more with him in the future. Uh, Before I I let you go, I'd like to ask, uh, is there anyone uh, specifically on the scene now that you haven't uh, had the chance to work with that that you would really like to work with? Um, Well, on the scene, huh? Um, Not really. I mean, there's a lot of guys, like, on the independent scene that I hope I get a chance to work with, uh, you know, you know, guys like Biff Busick and, and uh, uh, Trevor Lee. Um, you know, I hope we get a chance to work with guys like Chris Hero again. Hopefully, his will permit. Um, you know, I, I've worked a lot of the guys in the Ring of Honor locker room. Um, you know, there's there's very few guys that I haven't worked with yet in that locker room. So, I mean, uh, you know, the more I continue with ROH, uh, the more I'm going to get a chance to work with all of those guys. Um yeah, and then, like, the guys in WWE that I never really had that opportunity to work with. I mean, that's probably the extent of it is, you know, guys that are on the roster now have, I'll probably not get an opportunity to work with. So, you know, but that's the way it is. You know, uh, a lot of – there's a lot of guys that you just – you know, you share uh, you share a, a vocation with, but you don't get an opportunity to actually work with ever. So Yeah. You know, I've always uh, considered your your rivalry with AJ Styles to be like a you know, Raven versus Dreamer, Brett versus Michaels kind of thing. Uh, do you think we're going to get the chance to see you guys in the ring together again? I'm sure, man. I'm sure. Like, uh, you know, it depends on his schedule. He's put a lot of effort right now into his, uh, you know, his New Japan run. Um, but, I mean, he's still pretty uh, prevalent on the independent team, and he's still doing stuff with Ring of Honor. So who knows, man? Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I have, of course, seen, you know, your various TNA matches, but I did also get to see you guys live for 3PW a couple of times, which was just pretty spectacular. Um, it's been really great uh, talking to you, Chris. Uh, of course, you know, you'll be in Philadelphia at the ECW slash 2300 arena this Saturday uh, with Frankie Kazarian, and I'm making an appearance there, most likely wrestling. Um, com is, is where people can go to check out um, – your issue with Kazarian, and um, you also have your website at fallenangelchristopherdaniels.com. Uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to promote as far as upcoming appearances or way for the fans to, to get in touch or follow you? Well, you can um, you can check out my upcoming schedule at my website, fallenangelchristopherdaniels.com, like you said. Uh, I've just recently uh, become a spokesman for Onnit products and their supplements. Oh. So um, you can go to the website there and, and sort of look Go to my website and you'll be able to uh, find a link to on it and the stuff mm-hmm. that I use. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at FAC Daniels. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. I, I always try to keep the fans, whether it's through my website or through Twitter, I try to keep them abreast of uh, my upcoming stuff. So um, yeah, just either follow me or check out the website. Awesome. Well, listen, hey, I've been a huge fan for a long time, you know, since I, I first heard of you on the Indies and saw your WCW appearances through Ring of Honor and TNA, and it, it was a real pleasure speaking today, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem, man. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, take care, and uh, hopefully uh, I'll see your match this weekend, and, uh, you know, it should be a full house, and I look forward to it. All right, man. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was our episode with the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. We're certainly happy to have him on. Like I said, them at the close there, a guy I've been a fan of for a long time. I've uh, seen him live numerous times. Have to try to keep up with his career. Uh, in and out of TNA. 
Uh, like I said, I thought some of the stuff that they did, him and Kazarian post uh, Claire Lynch, was was pretty fantastic. He, he certainly was able to show uh, what a character he could be when given the chance, despite some things uh, people may have heard in shoots from Russo and things like that about how he didn't care about that kind of stuff. I, I certainly didn't agree, and I, I think the proof was in the pudding, and, and some of the stuff he did on TNA television proved it. Uh, it was very grateful to have him on. As he said, uh, Fallen Angel Christopher, Christopher Daniels dot com is the way to go to check out all his information. Uh, and he will be in Philadelphia for Ring of Honor Saturday night. So uh, rumors that the show is totally sold out. So if you don't have your tickets by now, you might be out of luck. And I'm sure it's going to be a great card and a great event. Unfortunately, I won't be there. But I will be at the Rumble this weekend. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. And uh, thank you again to Christopher Daniels for coming on. And hopefully I'll speak to him in the near future. And thank you for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.